Hello, everyone, and welcome, or maybe welcome back, to What Would the Smart Party Do, the UK's premier RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gaz, and with me, down in the south of England, is my good friend, Ben. How's it going down there? Uh, I'm like a room without a roof. It's that good. I, I don't even know what to make of that. I'll assume it's good, though. <laughs> you seem to be positive, so I'm going to assume that we're all good. Yeah, I'm fine, man. I'm fine. Welcome back to everybody on the call. Lovely. Good. And uh, once again, we've got a returning special guest. We are a river to our people. We have all the way from the States, Mr. Rob Schwab. How's it going, Rob? Great. So great. It's wonderful. It's all sunshine and rainbows here in the land of opportunity and fear and loathing. The sunlit uplands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me, gents. I really appreciate it. Well, that's, that's what, thanks for joining us. I'm spending some of your valuable freedom to come on the show and uh, chat to us. I know in great abundance across the pond. So uh, we want to talk about your games, obviously. Uh, we've had done before. Listeners can go back and catch up on that if you want to. We may cover some of the same ground. Who knows? But you are famed for Shadow of the Demon Lord, one of your better, more popular, prolific games, if I may say so, uh, which has kind of, I guess, a darkness to it. It's got a heavy metal feel. Uh, it has demons in the title. There's a certain, uh, you should say quite about it, that uh, people will gather. But this time you've gone perhaps a little bit more PG-13, perhaps family-friendly, I may say. Do you want to introduce your latest offering for our listeners who might not be aware? For sure. The newest game is called Shadow of the Weird Wizard. It is a gray fantasy game, if I was going to give it uh, an adequate description. You can play this with children that are able to read and do basic arithmetic uh it is there is almost nothing objectionable in there that you would not find in grim's fairy tales if that's a kind of a good bet, right? <laughs> yeah. i mean grim's fairy tales does get pretty, grim. <laughs> pretty grim but uh it, you know it, you can make a disney movie out of the shadow of the weird wizard and that's kind of what's important i think hmm. and yeah, that's uh it's currently running on kickstarter and we had a crazy first day and we're Continue to rock it on. This game, for the the careful readers, may guess that this game world exists in the same cosmology as the Shadow of the Demon Lord. And in fact, the title, the, the, the main character, or the main character, but the character for which the game is named, in fact, escaped from Earth and landed on this particular planet and carved out a niche for himself and has created some shenanigans the characters have to kind of unravel. Sounds good. I'm in. Where can we sign? Oh, that's right. We've got to Kickstarter and sign up immediately. Right. Please. <laughs> <laughs> this one's been you know, this one's been brewing for a while, right, Rob? This we we spoke about this years ago. You spoke about it years ago to other people before you spoke to us about it. How long has this one been in the back of your but skull? Uh, well, almost as almost as soon as Demon Lord came out, uh, I started kind of there were. There were, I made some decisions in Demon Lord that I think might have been driven by a small amount of rage and <laughs> general misanthropy. And I think that might have come out a little too strong in the game. And I know that while people really dug and grooved on the system, they weren't so hot about playing in a game that allows you to cast hateful defecation on your enemies. And so I think people kind of bounced off of that a bit. And it's got, and of course, as that game, as more and more, as I revealed more and more of that world, the darker and edgier it got, you know, the, the high, the new God is not really a new God. He's a mask worn by the devil to, 
dupe all of the mortality and steal them from the old gods, which are just really nothing more than abject fairies. And so there is no God. And the only thing that actually comes close to being a God is this rotting Hulk that lives in the space between realities. And that's the author of all evils. And you know what I mean? So it's, you could tell there was some anger there. <laughs> uh, so what I found was that people were really interested in seeing that game adapted to something that's not quite so grim. And so I started working on a version of Demon Lord with maybe 2016 uh, that was supposed to be the, 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 the PG, maybe even G-rated version of the game. Uh, that game had gone through all sorts of uh, evolutionary steps. I put it on hold several times. I brought it back out of, uh, out of retirement several times. And then I really started working on it I think around 2018, just before, because I was I was actually shopping in around at conventions, and uh, it it had been titled "The Free Companies of Four Towers" at one point. It was called something else at another point, and I eventually eventually it was "Shadow of the Mad Wizard" at one point, and now it is uh, what it is currently. And the the largest we were really uh, I, I want to just say this because uh, I, I feel like this game wouldn't be the way as good as it is without the steady hand of Kim Mohan guiding a lot of the development work on the rule set and kind of reining in my impulses. And it is my greatest regret that we couldn't get this game out while he was still with us. Mm. But this is definitely uh, the last project, as far as I know, the last project he worked on. And I'm trying to do him right in his memory with uh, with this game. Kim Mohan would be a name known to anyone who's ever bought anything from TSR, that's for sure. And, and Wizards of the Coast thereafter as well, a name storied in history. Is there is there any kind of like old school element to your to your new game, Rob? Does it does it harken back to any kind of nostalgia for gaming in the eighties, perhaps something like that? Oh, for sure, right? Yeah. So, like the the setting structure is I, there are some clear nods to my old love affair with D anD D, and they're intentionally, but they're kind of they're 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 a little skew. So uh, the the premise of the game is that there is this civilization was kind of nested in this one place, which is just blanket called the old country. And there was a great kingdom there, much like there is in Greyhawk or there was in Greyhawk. And in that great kingdom, there was corruption and it collapsed in itself and, and destabilized the entire region. So the premise of the game is that you are amongst the refugees fleeing from the old country into this place called the borderlands borderlands uh there are a bunch of settlements that are kind of popping up this is kind of a no man's land into the unknown kind of atmosphere because it's been it's on the very edges of the weird wizards territory and so it's in this place in between and rather than going in as colonizers you're going in as protectors of the refugees and you're working with the indigenous people to try to create space for these newcomers you're also trying to deal with uh, orcs who are products of soul sickness that kind of turn into monsters, wild uh, animal-headed humanoids, and mutants from ancient fallen empires. And then, of course, there's the ancient ones, which are going to resemble, in some respects, the elder gods that are kind of trapped in the body of Draconis, the dragon whose scales make the crust of this world. And they're tr- they're struggling to break free, and so there are cults arranged around that. There's so much to do in this game. <laughs> There's so much to do in this game, and it is it's 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 rooted deeply in the the wide eyed wonder. I think that we all had the first time we played any role playing game. 
right? Where it's like the sense of endless possibilities. And that's kind of what I was aiming for with this. And the world just gets bigger, you know, it gets, gets more interesting and more, and the history is is strange. But it's also, there's plenty of room for uh, game masters, we call them sages in the book, to tailor the world to match their own vision because much of the old country is left undescribed and undeveloped, much of the new lands are left undeveloped. And so there's plenty of room to uh, carve out spaces for yourself. I, I, I've got super excited again already. I, I love your uh, your style and delivery and fervor oh, for this you. game. <laughs> there, there's too many. There are some. I think fantasy is one of the hard ones to do, isn't it? There's there's a lot of us called fantasy heartbreakers out there where people have written games and there are orcs and there are you know dwarves and it's not. You kind of like what, but what's good though, and, that, and what I like about your description and what I get from your work as well is you're always like you're thinking what would be cool in a game. I'm going to pack loads of that stuff in here, and I'm going to have lots of uh, implied setting. Like in, there's a, a quick start on the Kickstarter page people can go and download. And in one of the characters for that, it goes on to be in a Wood Wars. And it says, Oh, yeah, for, you, for your part in killing the fairies. And there's kind of like, in my head, there's a little record scratch going, Wait, what? Someone killed all the fairies? What's going on? Like, you know, <laughs> and I think that's, I mean, is that something that comes naturally, that ability to just kind of go, oh, What's cool? And I'm going to like cram as many cool things I can think of onto the page as possible. Or, Yes, I have uh, I have spent many, many, many years cultivating that and tons and tons of reading to try to develop my voice in a way that every that there's there are very few wasted words and that when I do inject something in there, it's and I'm really hoping that I'm at least somewhere in a paragraph making you go, holy crap, that's freaking awesome. And that's kind of the I wouldn't, I mean, I guess I, I started really kind of paying close attention to how Pratchett wrote, and he inspired me in his ability to do something far better than I could ever do. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a big source of of, uh, of inspiration for how to construct the world and how to make things seem enticing by just giving you enough to make to fire your imagination, but not drowning you in, uh, you know, an advanced lecture on the history of dwarf stone basket weaving or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> How do you go about then? I guess, given what we've said, this harking back to the eighties, that there's there's a lot of uh, familiar fancy stuff. There's kind of folklore and fairy lore and stuff in there. Grimm's Tales, maybe. How do you manage to get something new, I guess, out of old material? Like, is it just the, the way you present it? Is it just uh, slightly shifting stuff sideways or looking at it from a different angle? Yeah, I think there's there's always an opportunity to, there's a reason why a lot of, well, let me, let me start again. There's a reason why a lot of the things that have lived so large in fantasy have been there and have had a longer life expectancy. And I think it's because they, I don't, maybe, maybe it's some sort of collective unconscious embrace of these uh archetypes that keep showing up again and again in fantastic stories but like even like the catalepus if i pronounced that right i think i did you know i was like thinking about what are the you know what are the old classic monsters and that come from Pliny's uh, and louis Borges' uh bestiary and a bunch of other sources and i'm trying to grab all these guys because i think they're important to kind of the cultural identity identity of what this thing is if that makes any sense and but I look at it in a way that how can I take this thing and make it fresh? So like go back to the orcs. Like there was a big kerfuffle about orcs being naturally evil, right? Mm. So there's, and, and really I think the, the argument is mostly about how they're presented rather than 
their place in the cosmology. I think there's a way you can present works so that they can just be naturally evil and awful, uh, but not make an indictment about, not make it a conversation about race or culture or anything like that at all. And uh, how I decided to go about this was that rather than make orcs a people that's created by some one-eyed God who's also evil, and so they're a reflection of his image, uh, rather I decided that orcs are just a byproduct of ancient one corruption that is inside of the, that is kind of bound up inside of that, that the earth dragon God uh, that sometimes surface comes to the surface. And when it does, it infects people, it poisons their soul and turns them into bloodthirsty, nasty, disgusting creatures. And so they're, they're frightening. So there's one adventure that we've got, there may be one bad apple that talks about what happens when some nasty goblins get a piece of this and drop it off in a little village and people start transforming into orcs and how do we and how do you solve that uh because are these people are savable and like a demon lord would be like absolutely not there's no way you can save them and you're going to have little children running around turning into orc children and you're going to have to confront the fact that you're going to butcher them you're not that's not what happens in weird wizard weird wizard gives you of course a, a cure which you can find in the adventure and it's all exciting and everyone has a feel-good moment at the end which is what's kind of important for a higher or grayer version of fantasy that i'm more accustomed to <laughs> so when you're writing this stuff especially for weird wizard Rob, over the last few years and you're, you're you're sort of sketching out your idea for orcs is there a point where you put your pen down and go right i could go left to demon lord i could go right to weird wizard with this the concepts must must be kind of you know neutral at the beginning i guess and then you say which where which direction should i take these in because you could go in one of two or more directions with anything i suppose whether it be a dragon or a plot or a, a magical item or an ancestry how do you how do you know which way to go with it so unfortunately uh i always go demon lord and <laughs> I, have to, I have to retreat uh there was one point back some of the playtesters were uh, giving me feedback and were like, you know, we really love what you've done with the monsters in this game, but could you maybe dial back the poop? This is a demon <laughs> lord, and there's apparently feces everywhere, and I'm not even thinking about it, right? It's like, of course, I've got a monster called a man-bear pig as my nod to South Park. The man-bear pig uh, leaves his scat everywhere as kind of, a, you know, that the man-bear pig's so close. And of course, I wrote this not thinking anything of it, but then I guess, you know, People, it's just not just not into poop. That's all right. <laughs> not to your extent, I don't think. <laughs> that's, that's a fair thing. What's worrying is that you thought that was suitable for Weird Wizard before someone else told you. <laughs> so you didn't even think you were writing Demon Lord then. No, I just was like, sure, of course. Okay, so it might be an impossible question to answer, but then how do you manage to uh, invest brand new things, I guess, is the thing. So part of this is kind of an homage or whatever to, to old stuff and, and reincorporating ideas and using age-old tales. Uh, so do, do you manage to get inspiration for something completely new? Do you, do you ever write things and think, I've come up with this, this is my baby, you know, like nobody has thought of this before. I mean, oh, you know, sure. Yeah, uh, so I've got this, uh, I'm often looking for ways to carve out new territory from a very well-trodden well road. And so I look at ways that uh, not only do, well, not only do I take existing creatures and modify them in a way that make them more interesting or more suitable to the to present tastes, but I'm also looking for ways to do things that are unique. Um, I'm thinking about like the, the mutants that are this uh, degenerate peoples that have been twisted by 
dark magic from long, long ago. And they're kind of a warning about what happens when magic is just let to go inside of a society and when it completely corrupts the leadership and is an exploit as a resource. And so there's a there's these vast sea of these awful half-melted people that are kind of washing up against the walls to kind of break in. They're not they're not undead. They're just they just want to make everybody like themselves. <laughs> I'm also uh always on the lookout for uh inspiration from whatever source i can find i'm a voracious reader and so i'm always looking to uh to reflect what inspires me at the time uh this is the shadow of the executioner by glenn wolf you ever read that no not read that that's it has that that book was a, a great had a great role in informing some of these the feel of Demon Lord. And still some of that will it's bleeding over into some of the feel of parts of Weird Wizard. It's not bleak, it's bleak, but it's not bleak to the sense that um it couldn't pass, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got um you've got a history of DD designing and things like that. And and obviously we've talked about uh, the TSI-ness of this game, and you've, you've mentioned it's a fancy game and all the rest of it. Uh, but the systems, although it does have a D20 in it, it's, it's somewhat of a departure, but it does feel adjacent enough that people who play D&D wanted to try a different game could hop across without too much difficulty. And there's some familiarity there, would you say? Is it, is it an easy step across? Is it, you know, would you recommend it? And, and what sort of like, what features have you got that you would say perhaps make it a better game or, a, you know, a better experience, arguably? Right. Uh, I... Totally did that on purpose too, right? I know what it's like to have a gaming group who's like, we're we're just playing D anD D. That's the right. that's the common tongue in the land, and for you to bring in something that's got where the GM makes no roles, or you've got aspects that you're then triggering in your narrative, or you're getting a bunch of strange terminology, or you're rolling funky dice. That's a big. That is a huge obstacle for a lot of people to jump over and play something different. So I felt like there were a couple of things that people, when you ask a person about a role-playing game, what what so what are the what are some of the iconic things they're gonna have? And like a D20 is is clearly what everybody recognizes as a, oh, you're playing one of those nerd games. Yeah. So I wanted me, I want the, I wanted to bring that process over. One of the things I did do though was I used a system called Boons and Banes to manipulate the D20 to reduce its fickleness. Uh, and so that you it produces a more reliable outcome by rolling additional dice to go with it. And so boons become situational advantages where banes are situa- situational disadvantages. You add the highest boon or you subtract the lowest bane. The dice cancel each other out. So you're usually only rolling one to three dice at any time. And people seem to really groove on that because the math isn't hard. If you're looking for a target number 10, which is the default number for all tasks that are not opposed, then you can roll a six and you roll any number greater than four, you know, you've succeeded. There's not a whole lot of, well, I've got a plus two bonus from being on the left side of this mountain. Plus I've got this particular widget that gives me a plus four bonus when the moon's full and all these other things you're looking for. It scoops all that stuff up and pumps it into just these big chunky objects that have physical weight, right? I mean, it's like, I have a boon. It's another thing I pick up and I throw the table. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the things I was thinking about while I was designing the game is, how to enable D&D players, casual players, and veteran players to be able to play something different 
and then but still not be like well i have to digest a whole new world and i have to digest a whole new rule set but i want to play something different and i want the experience to be yeah i want it to be something new and i'm hoping that what weird wizard and demon lord and other games i make can be kind of that step where somebody says i've played D for five years i want to play something else and i played weird wizard now and i really like it what else is out there mm. and so it becomes a doorway to go to other kinds of games i think that's the hope and one of the other doorways that you have and certainly the demon world because it's been around for a few years now is um your games go wide don't they? you have a lot of products that if they were all physical and they would take up a lot of shelf space yeah which is which is a delight for people who really want to get invested in in a line you know collect as you go but you've got adventures you've got source books you've got magic material you've got absolutely everything and it keeps on coming at such a pace and you and you've done punk apocalyptica in the last couple of years which is i'm still getting my kickstarter rewards from it's still coming through on a regular basis weird wizard stretch goals are, are already looking like a really good strong package of stuff so so these worlds are deep and wide but as you say, so accessible. I mean, are you making a rod for your own back with the amount of stuff you're promising people here, Rob? Well, I mean, the the thing is, is that I wasn't going to do these products anyway, right? It's not like I wasn't. Spoilers. <laughs> so with the two, like, you know, the only thing that has cut, has to be out by August of 2024 are Shadow of the Weird Wizard and Secrets of the Weird Wizard in the screen. I want to have all that stuff shipped out. And then I really like the fact that people are that I'm crawling into their email their their inboxes every two weeks or so with something new, right? Because that's awesome and exciting. Is that man, I just I haven't read this adventure yet, and I've got another one I can do, mm-hmm. which then says, Hey, and these ventures are super easy to run. So I'm gonna go ahead and do this instead of doing this other thing when I know I have a very limited amount of time because I'm getting so much great content. And so it was, it's it's kind of the it's been the the strategy of the start was to give you everything you need. Like I don't want you to have any excuse for not like nothing I've done will can stop you. You just have to make that decision that I don't want to I don't want to run Demon Lord. Done, but I don't want you to be able to look back at me and say, "Well, Rob didn't give me enough adventures, or Rob didn't give me enough spells, or Rob didn't give me monsters, or I didn't know about this thing." So I just want to make sure that everybody has all they can have. I think that's it's it's the the adventures. I think I like more than anything. I know there's like a bunch of other stuff you could you produce and, and other people do as well. But we were chatting to um, David Larkins last time on uh, about Pendragon. And I was saying one of the great things about that line from when it came out was there was a lot of adventure books with different types of scenarios and different things you could do, and it just enables people to play more. It makes the game feel like it's staying alive. And then right. you get shared experience amongst players of the game that they say, "Well, what did you do when you met the Spectre King or whatever?" And that. That kind of stuff. So I think it's really, I don't know, I think it's for some lines, they seem to have lost that in terms of the uh, role playing, you know, that they don't produce, it's more setting books or a different part of the world or things like that, but not enough actual. This is a, this is an example of what you do in the game. These are, you know, yeah. the scenarios or plans for the sort of adventures you can have and make up yourself, right? And I think that it, part of that comes from the fact that adventures are historically don't sell very well. And mm. But if you treat them as an advertising expense, then who cares? I mean, I make an adventure sell for two bucks. I spend $300 for the half page piece of art of the front. It's going to take me a very long time to break even on that adventure. But if that adventure sells five more copies of Demon Lord or Weird Wizard, it's worth it. 
the thing too is that I think that a lot of people find that, as I said, adventure writing is very hard. It's not, it's mm -hmm. the hardest part of the entire enterprise is coming up with ways to anticipate what the players are going to do or to kind of an answer those questions. I loathe writing adventures and mm -hmm. I still, but I, you know, I understand that that is a bread. That's what keeps the role-playing game alive, right? Demon Lord is almost nine years old and it's still, ha I still sell it every month. I'm still selling lots. And part of it's because you always have something to do with it. And it's just crucial to keeping your game alive. And I see a lot of the fly-by-night companies that come out with their Kickstarter and they raise a lot of money and there's no adventure content and it's forgotten. And I don't, you know, maybe I may not make as much as, you know, the next game over, but I guarantee you, you will be able to use what I give you. Yeah. And the adventures that, that come out from, from Schwab Entertainment uh, are what, five, 10 pages? They're kind of, they're, they're not one sheets, are they? They're certainly not 32 page books either. An adventure is designed to be really, really playable. And you don't need that many adventures to get yourself what's called a campaign. Um, right. You know, 10 sessions is a thing, right? Cool. Do you want to tell people who might not know, and this tends to put the cat amongst the pigeons with some gamers, what the idea of a, a 10 session campaign might be? Sure. So the game's structured uh, with three tiers, uh, novice, expert, and master. And every tier, you every level you play, uh, you are kind of zooming in on the most important moment of your character's life at that time. So the game just says, you know, you're probably going to go to the to the to the to the restroom. You're probably going to go to a tavern <laughs> and order drinks. You're probably going to run a business, and you're probably going to go on a bunch of minor adventures, and you might do some training. But I don't care, and neither does anybody else at the table. That that's what you've done. You want a really cool story, and we're zooming in on this really cool story, and we're going to tell this cool story, and it's in one session, and you're done, and you're out. Because we don't want to have to have like, well, Johnny can't make it next week, so we have to put it off. No, Johnny was there for that session. He gets to play. If Johnny can't be there next time, no big deal. We've got a new adventure we're going to play through. That's the that's the main goal. Second goal is that I don't want ever to be a situation where the campaign sputters out because you've promised your players 20 levels of gameplay or 30 levels of gameplay or whatever your game currency is for gameplay adventures are. And then you've spent three game sessions trying to get up one level uh, and then you never get to the end which is the best part right the best parts when orcas crawls out of the abyss or uh asmodeus uh uh you know slaughters uh, invades the abyss or a god dies or something else happens those are the big events that are so exciting and by pushing that off into an unreachable state at the highest levels of the game or whatever again whatever metric you're using to to to, to measure that seems absurd uh so by giving you a 10 session 10 adventure 10 quest campaign collapses that down to the highest most exciting moments so it's like watching star trek strange new worlds you get 10 really great episodes and then you're out <laughs> and you can do it again as often as you want because there's going to be right now 20 adventures plus two full campaigns for a weird wizard which is four campaigns worth of content. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. that should be a plenty. With yeah, more... And who doesn't want to try out all the little gadgets and giggles and all the other stuff that you spent your hard-earned money on? If you've got right. like a dozen ancestries and you're tying yourself to like one of them for the next three years of your actual life, 
<laughs> that's no bang for your buck either, is it? Right. So, you know, you want to mix it up a little bit and try some new paths and try some new stuff. And um, yeah, here we go again. Make it a seasonal like they do with the best TV shows, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, I've been having that argument with people about Star Trek. Well, not well, I'll go to the full discussion here, or that's another separate podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the original series, and it is, you know, it's sure. pants because it was made in the 60s or whatever, but it, it's good. Like they, That is Star Trek to me. That's what I grew up with when I was a kid sort of thing. And then so the Strange New World is, has kind of got back to that, and it's not quite Monster of the Week, but it's sort of, as you were saying, you know, you're like each episode is a, like this is a story, and then we're done with our story, and move on, and there's a through line. Right. Some of the problems that Star Trek's had to prove slightly discovery and other ones is like they've made the through line, the story, and if you miss one, you're kind of missing all of it. You know, if you're that Johnny didn't make it last week, now you suddenly don't know what's going on anymore, and you know. So yeah, and I think certainly from a, I'm not touching that analogy anymore, but yeah, from a from a gaming point of view, you want what's the cool thing that's happening, or to hop back to Pendragon we talked about last week. That's like one scenario is one year of your night's life, and then you move on a year. And you have a winter phase or whatever, but like now it's a year later. Now what cool thing happens in that year? We don't need to know about how you looked after your beehives back in Demesley Manor or whatever else. Like, well, just assume all that's happened. Yep. But what, what's the dragon doing? Like, what's the how's things advanced in the, in the war against the Saxons or something? So yeah, fully on board with all that tick. We do like that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and talking of pace, one of our, our often used phrases is no game suffers from too much pace. So um quite often convention games, we do find people may not play to the level of activity that we're used to. Let me put it that way. Um, we've listened to, obviously, some of Rob's basement, your podcast, where you've done actual plays. And I do love, again, your, your action. You very much slam the table and going, fast action, slow actions, next. Who's doing the what? This is happening. What's going to happen next? So, yeah, I do recommend people go and listen to that. But uh, do you also write the game with that in mind, that you're, you're expecting people to be, like, you know, full throttle, put your foot down, and let's let's get gaming? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to mess around with with elaborate backstories or any of that stuff. I mean, I know that that's fun for a lot of people, but that is stuff that you can do outside of the group play experience. And so I want the, I want the adventure to be boom. We don't worry about like, you know, a half a page of, or even a full page of exposition about what's going on and what the necromancer feels about Mary who lives in the village two two villages over. We want to get right into it. Uh, there's an adventure uh, a quest for a weird wizard that's coming out, which involves a rival adventuring group. And there's this necromancer in disguise who shows up and he's trying to feed adventurers to this spider monster that lives in a cave in the, in the hills. So the characters are going in this tavern scene and they're talking to other people and play some games and do this other stuff, which is intentional, right? Cause it's going to be like a kind of a, a poke at the whole, We'll start in a tavern, but then you get you get wind of this job, and you make and then you, these other people you met steal the job out from under you. So the characters are then going to run up to go catch them, so they can make all the stuff, only to find out that, oops, this is all really bad, and we have to solve it. Uh, other adventures are like you know we start in the middle, we start immediately with you know you open the fight, kick the door down, monsters come pouring in, and then go from there. Or if you've already assumed that you've negotiated the deal. Or you've already been recruited, and you already st- you started the mouth or the door or the dungeon or whatever the situation's going to be, because I just think that um, time is precious, and I think people can do about four hours in a sitting, and they're, they're that's about all they can do if they can mm. do that. Yeah, yeah. If you think about a lot of movies, even though now they're getting to three hours of stuff, a lot of people are getting antsy in those. Yeah, anything longer than that for people to sit down and concentrate is asking quite a lot. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll bore you with the story as I do other people, but I, I did play with another designer in one of his games. I'll not, I'll not call him out, but there was just a ludicrous bit at the start where we were being paid some money. So this is a one-shot at a convention. We're going to play some money, and another player wanted more money. And it's like, what? So we're going to like roll dice now to get some more money? Like yeah. it's, you're not even saying an amount. It's just a nebulous. We just want, and then we failed anyway, so we had to do it for some money. And the, the, the whole adventure was like that. With just kind of, oh. why, why have we not got to the good bit? Why have we not? <laughs> Where's the demons and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I think that made me crawl out of my skin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it was worse because it was GURPS as well. So there was a lot of uh, – I tried to run up some stairs and I had to do it in one-second increments. So it took me like five rounds to get to the top of the stairs. Wow. And then the demon jumped off and I had to run back down again. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll not go on. But the... It would have been worth it if you'd got more money up front. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Totally. If it was for some more totally. money, it would have been <laughs> But it was only for some money. <laughs> right, but some money, not enough. So do you, do you handle stuff like that in your game, like like I don't know, counting arrows or having coins or getting paid for jobs or whatever? Like how's the how are, how are Kevin's just driven? What what gives them their motivation? Right, like there's we I do use gold pieces, and there are a variety of ways to track ammunition. It's expected though the default is that if you get a bow, you've got arrows. You can recover arrows after a fight. No one cares. Move on. If you've got provisions in your backpack, you've got enough food and water to survive. But you got to have you got to have rules for when those times. If you want to write it, run an adventure where the characters are dropped off in the middle of the desert and it's a survival game, then there's got to be stuff for hunger and thirst and sleep deprivation and all that boring, sometimes boring stuff that doesn't really play into the the run of the mill or standard experience. Um, there was a Sly Flourish had comment had done a, a video thing and he was talking about Weird Wizard the other day and he was kind of giving me poking at me about the fact that I pulled zones out of Weird Wizard. Originally, Weird Wizard was going to use an abstract combat system, and I stuck with that for a very long time. I was because I'm all about keeping it simple and keeping it streamlined and all that stuff. But what I found was that I was spending, I was getting feedback from play testers that was asking me for more precision, which required me to take, strip away the abstraction of zones to give them more, they make it more concrete until the point where it was like that, that I just needed to say it's five yards across. That's all you move. And we don't need to have, so we don't need all these extra special rules and trappings. And he made a good point that uh, that's based on what I was also saying uh, was that it is easier to strip out than it is to add in complexity. You strip out complexity, it's far easier than it is ever adding it back in. And so that's why there are some crunchier bits in this game, but there's also an expectation of like, you don't need to use it. I wouldn't use it, but there are going to be times when you need to know if you can get to that door in time before the room explodes because it's exciting or you need some sort of, or you might need to know how many days you can go without having, you know, your, your field bacon. But generally the game dispenses with a lot of that stuff. Like it never shows up in adventures unless it's the centerpiece of the adventure. There's a grand tradition of ignoring encumbrance rules. that goes right back to the start of the hobby. It does. It really, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of my proposed game. Uh, that's a calorie based uh, task resolution system. <laughs> Everything you do burns calories. And so you spend the game stuffing yourself with calories that so you can swing your sword. <laughs>
I don't think he's joking. I just think it's a recipe for my life. That's all it is. Right? <laughs> stuffing guys in it. Just don't swing any swords. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm with you. And then, uh, Demon Lord and Weird Wizard then. So you were talking before about how the adventures and the supplements that you produce can act as a really good advert for your core game, which is where your core business is at. Demon Lord's got to get a lift out of Weird Wizard, I presume. Um, everything starts starts working at the same time, but... I was wondering what what effect the wider business had on your business. Um, Wizards of the Coast, your former employers, have made some spectacular uh, gaffes over the last few months and maybe the last year or so with OGL or AI-generated art or some self-inflicted wounds there. Does that kind of stuff, is that good for, for you guys like yourself and maybe Paizo who are operating around the outside of that kind of core D&D market? Does that stuff work or is it just negative for everyone? No, it it works. Uh, wow. And I don't, I don't want to be a, a vulture picking at their carcass. Mm. They're certainly not dead, and they're certainly not going in, going away anytime soon. But I know during the OGL fiasco, I probably sold ten times the wow the numbers that I had done. The, I mean, I was getting outrageously good sales uh, for Demon Lord, and then you know, this is on the heels of a bundle of holding, yeah. which was unspeakable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that you would think that you'd be able to get that kind of attention and that i think that's owes i think a lot of weird wizard success is due to the fact that there's been a lot of something other than D, something other than hasbro um and it's a shame uh but it's also you know just it's part of it i think that they're in a a very strange situation of having to keep one foot into the hobby of old and still be answerable to uh, investors and it be, and that's, that's, I don't know that, I don't know what that looks like. I guess I, I do know what it looks like. It looks like <laughs> what we're getting, um, yeah. but uh, it's, but I think it's, it's really good that D and D can still be even, even if it becomes even blander and more vanilla uh, and where, you know, you're just not, you just don't have any of the things, the hard edges that made D and D such an interesting thing to fool around with. Uh, it's still a great entry drug, and you know, as long as DD is healthy, I think every, the the rest of us can eat, yeah. and certainly allows a lot of those companies that just put out a new five E compatible source book to raise their million dollars and <laughs> move on. So you know, got to keep those guys in good shape too. <laughs> I got um, I got a message today from a, a good friend of mine, who guys is uh, Matt, who's uh, who's at Steamforge Games. Um, so they 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 delivered the Dark Souls game the rpg right um and he's coming at number five in the old ic ratings number five he's right that's up crazy. there and that's and that's after a quarter where you know there was the ogl stuff but also you know they got the DD movie out there which apparently didn't see a surge in sales but what he did was stop the rock um but yeah to see something like dark souls in the top five is absolutely incredible i mean he's just a guy who lives down the road from me he's a, he's a <laughs> he's an independent like you like yourself yeah, it's, it's there's it's there's so much money in D and D right now, and that it makes it it's it's exciting because it can mean that if you can if you can land a license and you're willing to get in bed with wizards, then you can make a pretty good living, which is something that you couldn't have said during third edition. No. I mean, a lot of people made a lot of money up front, and then three point five tanked it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, until I remember, if you put the D twenty system logo on the back of your books, it was a poison pill for any you you would never move it. Yeah. Um, 
So it's interesting to me that there is such an appetite for it, but I also think it's because of just it being the zeitgeist, right? I mean, it's mm. what's D and D is popular because it's popular, and it won't be forever. And ride that wave, yeah. Uh, which so, then, of course, makes me wonder why the hell I'm not just working in D and D. But <laughs> the thing is that, but I, but really, what I don't want to, I don't want to give a corporation any more money. Uh, I'm I'm a tiny, tiny, tiny company, one guy with contractors and. Mm-hmm. We do the best we can with what we got, and I got believe I have got a vision for what the role playing game should look like, and I'm just chugging along as best I can. And uh, I think that there's a this pond is still pretty. There's still room for for other versions of other takes on fantasy, and my hope is that people will take their training wheels off and look for something else. Mm. Yeah, I knew at the time of recording. Kickstarter for Weird Wizards, what it's only a couple of days old, really, isn't it? And it's yeah. north of two hundred thousand dollars. It so. is, and because <laughs> I'm obsessive compulsive, I'll give you an actual number. <laughs> uh, it is two two nine six zero nine. Oh, okay. Which in pounds, is one eight or six or three for our English <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Both currencies. That sounds like a that sounds like a lot. But is that yeah. is that for your expectations? Is that above, below? Uh, it's you know the the thing about Kickstarter is that if the money you're going to make on Kickstarter just pays for the Kickstarter and everything you make it for it, right? It's I'm not going to be spending that on sex workers and blow. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> uh, it's it's all going into art and it's going into printing cost. I mean, to get the books printed, it's going to cost me seventy nine thousand dollars. Whoa. Right. So, I mean, that's not like if I do 10,000 units uh, of both books and a screen and a slipcase and the deluxe book, I mean, I'm looking at $80,000, And, you know, I don't have to print that many and I might not print that many. But I mean, if I want this game to, to live, I don't want to go back to reprint in two years. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a, a so then you add the you add $50,000 of the art, you've got editing fees, and you've got layout fees and all the other little bets and bobs that you have to do. And then eventually you realize that you're all that money is gone. Mm. Uh, and so, but what not to be a woe is me, but really where the money comes in is what sells afterwards. In the time there'll be enough of, there'll be enough product out there that this will, you know, it'll be fine. It's like doubling. It'll eventually double the size of my skews for what I have for demon Lord and weird wizard. and gives you know, more options for people to kind of get into my philosophy of role-playing games. <laughs> so what's your, yeah. what's your thoughts on uh, community, not the TV show, but the, like there's a, there's obviously a, a fractured community out there. I'd say now, like me and Ben have struggled a long time to find out where do you go for general role-playing chat? And I don't think there's a place. There's kind of lots of little groups and discords and Facebook groups and whatever. Everybody like has their own tribal thing. So what's, what's the demon Lord or the Schwalb kind of community like if you have one? Uh, we're, it, you know, it's it, we 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 have a very strong and vibrant following on Discord. Uh, there, that's probably where almost all the discussion and magic happens. We have a, a small but fierce group on Facebook, um, and then the various translations have their own followings. So there's there Italian fans and and uh, Brazilian fans and and so on. Um, 
Yeah, it is kind of strange that we're as fractured as we were. I mean, back in the day, EN World was the place for all role-playing. Well, I mean, it's D&D, but you still had enough room for other other games. Circus Maximus was kind of the same thing there, too. Um, but I think the the rise of the rise and conquest of social media has kind of moved that into you know, Twitter and Facebook and whatever other flavors are out there. Mm-hmm. And those have kind of killed off a lot of that kind of big melting pot effect that RPG Net used to be and other other sites. I mean, granted, those places still exist, but out of the format hours kind of thing. So yeah. How about, I mean, I think it's stuff like streaming is quite a big thing now as well, like actual play. I mean, the, the, I don't know whether it's true or not, but there might be a more limited market for Shadow of the Demon Lords with its graphic content than there is perhaps for Weird Wizards. So it, would you expect maybe that you get to see more of actual people playing the new game? I certainly hope so. Uh, I, don't, I, I think uh, uh, I'm going to be brutally honest. I think the pandemic broke me in a lot of respects. <laughs> and so I had a couple really hard years there in that. And so my ability and interest in taking charge of like having a live player I run is below zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I would probably rather uh, doctor elderly patients toenails uh, than than run a game on a stream. Um, that said, I would love it if other people, if people would would bring their games uh, to a larger audience, uh, because I think that's that's another way of playing role playing games. And I, I mean, the the old the, the old crusty guy that lives inside uh, kind of recoils a bit from that that kind of whole experience. But I also understand that people absorb role playing games. In a variety of different ways. I mean, some people never actually play the games, but just use them as bathroom reading, or they just mm-hmm. love the idea of thinking about what it would be like to run the game. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that style of gameplay. And it's still a gameplay because you're still thinking and building and tinkering and, and coming up with cool ideas. And even if you're a spectator and living vicariously through your favorite voice actor who is uh, running their character in some super popular streaming game, uh, that's also super cool. And so I think I was always sad that Demon Lord didn't have, like, there wasn't just this big groundswell of like, we need more defecation and we're going to we're gonna talk about that every week. Uh, but, you know, I also recognize that not everyone is as refined as I am. <laughs> that's right. There's no account of a taste, is there? <laughs> Wizards are managing their own shit show on a fairly regular basis. You'll be okay. <laughs> Well, you know, Vox Machina, you know, that, that big old cartoon that got kickstarted. I was um I was pleasantly surprised by it to see it with a well, what what we have over here, 18 certificate. It's quite grown up. They get sweary and stuff. Do they? Uh, yeah, yeah, surprisingly oh. so. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's adult, I suppose, or it certainly isn't it isn't it hasn't got a tiny little unicorn and a and a dungeon master with a bald head and white white hair. So, you know, there's um there's room for everyone in this hobby. And and I, I I suspect, and I suspect you know this too, that Demon Lord is going to do very well out of Weird Wizard. The Weird Wizard's going to do really well out of Demon Lord. And if they're two different flavors of ice cream, what's the cross compatibility like? It's inevitable that people are going to want to know. There, the engine is is essentially the same. Mm-hmm. That said, there are different expectations about what the play experience is going to be like. Yeah. Uh, where Demon Lord was always billed as a horror fantasy game. That means the game's kind of tilted against you. 
right? So it's going to be harder than than D and D should be or any other fantasy game on the grounds that this is a horror movie and there's no expectation of survival. On the other hand, Weird Wizard is more heroic fantasy, more exploration and adventure and doing good for the world and making and trying to shine a light against the darkness and expose the evil and do all that fun, gooey, happy, feely stuff that a lot of kids enjoy. And so the game is more in favor of the players. So your characters are tougher, spells do more damage, your paths give you a little bit more bang for your buck. Monsters are can be threatening, and I think certain monsters uh, are are going to be just a lot more threatening. Uh, but I think that's also important to establishing some sort of narrative truth to the world. In that, if you're just a Joe Schmo warrior type dude with a sword, you're not going to go rushing off to go fight the dragon or the demon that comes crawling out of the void because that's just that's just poor tactics. You just shouldn't do that. Right. But yeah, there there are. But you there. If you know how to play Demon Lord, you know how to play Weird Wizard and vice versa. Um, you are going to feel like you've got more things you can do in Weird Wizard. I think largely it's going to be true. Uh, and But Weird Wizard obviously is uh, not as disgusting. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless players want to introduce that themselves, but that's everyone's tables they're on, isn't it? <laughs> right, and I've, I've, t- I've toyed with the idea of having like... A, like a black edition of Weird Wizard, where there might be a special rule book if you really want to inject some nasty stuff in there. We, but I don't think I, I think just the fact that I'm even doing a Howl of the Void uh, as a stretch goal, uh, which covers demons in the void, that's probably as far as we're going to go. And even these demons are not going to be demon lord demons. If you want a black edition of uh, of Weird Wizard, then play a Shadow of the Demon Lord, right? So, so you've already written that one. <laughs> yeah, it's done. I don't need to do it again. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So, I mean, you, you're obviously quite buried in the, in the Kickstarter and doing your own work. You're quite prolific, as we've already discussed. But do you get much chance to look at other people's games or other stuff to kind of get inspiration or just to see what's happening in the world? Uh, I do buy a lot of stuff. I don't often get to crack the covers. Um, I've got Hell Knight over here somewhere, Into the Odd, Necrobiotic, and I also have Gods of Metal Ragnarok. I got the new Marvel superheroes game by my buddy Matt Forbeck, um, Dragon Bane. So I've got all the stuff, and I will look at other games <laughs> and see what they're doing. But uh, yeah, it's I, it's it's it, I'm ashamed. I have lots of product, but very little time to kind of go through it. Um, I'm hoping that once Weird Wizards out of my hands, and in and in the final editing phase, I will be able to take a breath and and start enjoying the the bounty that I have I have reaped for myself as tax write offs. So, <laughs> <laughs> I stood next to um, Jonathan Tweet at Gen Con UK years and years ago now, and, and I'm a big fan. I was like, "Hi, Jonathan, how's it going?" We were having a nice chat, a, a real nice guy, and he was um he was leaking through the crates, you know, like you do, looking for stuff. And um, and he, I remember he bought All Fresh Must Be Eaten, which is a fine game from back yeah. in the day. Um, and he got every single supplement at the same time. And there was quite a few for All Fresh Must Be Eaten, loads yeah. of nice little hardbacks. It was probably about, I don't know, foot 18 inches worth of books. And he got the whole lot in one go. Uh, so, well, good luck with that. And then about 15 years later, I don't think he's read more than one of them. I guarantee it. It's just, if, if, if he's still got it, it's on a shelf somewhere, like we all do. We're all the same, aren't we? Just can't help yeah. ourselves. 
No, no. Like I'll see it. I like I saw the uh, Sarah Frazetta launched the Fire Nights miniatures board game yeah. thing. Yeah. Of course, I backed it because I'm, Fire Nights was a pivotal film for me as a as a prepubescent young man. Uh, and then it, as I became a pubescent young man, it was also equally uh, important. I love that stuff, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back it. I, will I play it? I don't know. <laughs> Just doesn't matter <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter like i have I, I i'm i was you mentioned all flesh must be eaten i've got it sitting on my shelf too so <laughs> <laughs> there's some fine stuff in there i keep going back to games from the 90s it's there were oh, so yeah. many fresh ideas and they're, they're all getting kick-started again now as veteran games aren't they like you know as remixes and revamps and what have you yep is there anything you'd like to go back to from like your early writings and have another crack at it if there were a market for it? I would probably like the one thing that I would love to do again would be to do a custom tailored system, brand new, not adapting any other game engine to Black Company by Glenn Cook. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I, would, yeah. I did that as a D20 source book at the very, very earliest days of my career. I would love to go back and do that as a full blown role playing game. Uh, it's a the the experience was there's a lot of stuff to tease out of those novels um but mm. there's also some inconsistencies and then i don't think mr cook really cares too much about the world he's more about the characters and their stories and their struggles i think there's something about the black company world that uh just makes it stand so far apart from everything else of these mm-hmm uber benches that are stomping around and just dictating how things go and you just are a low-life scumbag working for a mercenary company who's caught in these power struggles between titanic beings of vast and terrible magic so sexy i would love to do that again (laughs) that and i probably would love to go back and work on warhammer fantasy roleplay just one more time but yeah yeah you would you go back for that okay i love i love warhammer yeah that that's obvious if you read your stuff, it comes through, doesn't it? You can see the DNA all the way through your stuff. Yeah, yeah. I it, and I worked so hard on Sag Edition on this because I, I was the the line developer for that game, mm. and uh, after because Chris had, I think I took over shortly after the second or third book. I think it was Realms of Sorcery as the first one I developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it just swallowed my life, and. So, <laughs> It's always hard, right? It's like uh, you think about my time on D anD. I mean, I was producing content for D anD. D through three editions, and uh, you know, by the time I left, it was like there was a mixture of bitterness and anger and regret, but also kind of relief because it's like, man, I, I don't have to talk about wood elves or high elves or aquatic elves or dark elves or any valley elves or any other variety of elf or have to try to sift through millions of pages of forgotten realms canon to figure out what this thing does it's a it's a vast it was a great relief uh so i'm not to that point where i'm I'm willing or even interested in going back to D &D. uh but Mm. warhammer has been far it's been long enough that that I would, I would get go back and do it one more time. Well, me, me and uh, Ben are heading over to uh, Germany next week to the Kraken Gaming Village. It's the first time I've been, but I've been a few times. But it's excellent playing Warhammer over there because there's a lot of the, the names of things which are for German or mean something like quite obvious yeah. if you're German, but don't to most English-speaking audiences. So, yeah, 
Uh, Stefan and people I play with over there are quite often saying, what have you done to my beautiful language and looking at the sky? <laughs> <laughs> it adds an extra dimension. You've got to watch some of these scenarios because the villain will be called something like, I'm the villain, but in German. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> English or Americans don't get it, but the German goes, what, his name is villain? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, there's some silliness. It's got the, the dark here, I think the black humour is the thing about Warhammer, isn't it? That's the kind of... Oh, yeah. And, and that's kind of, and that's where I, I mean, that's why I certainly leaned into that a little bit with, uh, with Demon Lord was because, you know, it's, it's, it's in my blood. There's, there's my, there's, I guess one of the last times I ran Demon Lord, we were using the Tome of Corruption rules and one of the characters mutated and their head ballooned and a bunch of spider legs came out from underneath their severed head. The rest of their body got swallowed up inside. It's really good stuff. I mean, I still play minis games and, um, I played Lock Kill Team recently, and I keep an eye on what's happening in 40k and the Warhammer worlds and, and all the new things they're doing, all the old things they're doing. You can't get away from the fact that those four Chaos Gods are arguably one of the finest inventions in gaming ever. You know, Corn, Sarnesh, Nurgle, Azinj. It's just incredible what you can do with those things. Yeah. And, and Warhammer started, you know, with elves. It had the elves and it had the dwarves and it was a little bit Tolkien esque and it was a bit furry footed hobbits that kind of thing. But there was some stuff in there that has just taken over the world since, and it drips into so much other things. Yeah, that, that, it, that it, the the design on that original, original game, there you could see the genius, right? Mm. And the further they moved from D&D's roots, the, the better the game became. Absolutely. And yeah. translating yeah. some of those concepts to, to, the 40, to the Rogue Trader and later 40K, still breathtaking. Mm. Such a great world, or universe, rather. Yep. They're doing very well for themselves, even now. <laughs> they did all right. Now, yeah. Have that big white tower care for those. <laughs> and I really liked I liked I really liked working with Games Workshop. They were they were good folks. They was yeah. it was a good time. We're both ex GW staffers, so yeah, we've got stories. But that, that's probably for another time. Again, it's another podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> <Reminisce>. <laughs> so one other thing I wanted to mention actually is um I've done some scenarios for like Free League and, and D&D a couple of times on like DMs Guild and creators content and things like that where basically uh, you produce a scenario for somebody else's thing and you they take half the money, which seems a good deal for them. But uh, is there like chance for that sort of thing with, with your work? I know you produce a lot of stuff, but is there a community content kind of thing going on? We have one for Demon Lord called Disciples of the Demon Lord, but it's the same deal, right? It's You're still going to split the, the profits between sure. the publisher and... I would I would certainly adjust that if I could. I if Weird Wizard hits a certain level though, and, and I've got a I've got a price tag in mind, I'm opening the game up and we'll okay. use the OGL or the work license or something else to make that happen. Uh because I know that there if we hit it at a certain dollar amount, there's enough interest there that allows me to relax and let other folks play and do what they want with it. Because you know, between you and me and uh, the listeners, I don't, I don't know how many big games I've got left in me. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've turned fifty next year, and I this this was a this was a long process. Right. And uh, I'm I'm about ready to to start putting my money into sex workers and blow. While everything still works, <laughs> that's where you call a stretch goal. That is a stretch goal. That could be the title of your last big game. <laughs> I do have a game in mind for my for my potentially last, which may also be my next. 
It's called Drink Deep from the River of My Hate. <laughs> it is uh, it's a hardcore fighting role-playing game. It's role-playing game only in the sense that you're going to have a character, but it is all pure carnage. And that is uh, as soon as Weird Wizards underway, I start work on that. <laughs> Good. I, I knew the well of hate would be deeper than we thought. Weird Wizards <laughs> isn't capping anything off, is it? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I note we're about time. We could happily chat all night, I'm quite sure. But uh, yes, time is against us. So thanks very much for coming on, Rob. It's been great to speak to you once again. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all our loyal listeners. If you fancy dropping us a dollar on Patreon to keep us going, it helps us uh, stay on the airways, pay the internet man, and keeps us motivated to get more great guests on and give you great gaming advice, reviews, and other things. And sex workers and blow, obviously, works across here too. <laughs> Other funding models are available. <laughs>